Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I've recently heard a number of sailors talk about getting into trouble, getting into bad weather when they had to set to sea because of a time constraint, when they had to leave a country because they didn't have the right permits or because they had to be somewhere at a specific time. And last week, I was cleaning out my garage, going through old boxes, trying to get rid of junk. But at the bottom of one of these boxes were some articles that I had written back in 2001, 2002. And one of them touched on this topic. It wasn't necessarily about being forced into bad weather, but about sailing and trying to make a deadline and that causing problems in another way. The article was published in Sailing Magazine in December of 2002, which was their Safety at Sea issue. I thought I would read it here because it was one of the most harrowing experiences I've ever had aboard, and it's a good reminder to consider everything before saying we have to be somewhere at a certain time when you're sailing. The article's called Seriously Seasick. A Caribbean cruise takes a turn for the worse when a case of mal de mer gets dangerous. And that's not quite an accurate title because I think there was more food poisoning than seasickness involved here. But let me tell you the tale and then you'll get the gist of it. Ah, not again, I thought, as my girlfriend Miranda rolled out of bed and stumbled into the head to be sick for the third time. The retching had begun around midnight, and dawn was now approaching. As the morning progressed, her digestive system seemed to be quieting down, and she was able to sip water and keep it down. But the worst was yet to come. The most dangerous thing on a sailboat is a calendar, for sailing and schedules do not mix well. Miranda was feeling weak and tired, but we both thought she was improving. Our big mistake was our decision to push ahead with our scheduled departure, despite her weakened state. We were sailing south aboard Baggy Wrinkle, our allied looters 33, having departed from Annapolis in mid-November. After a couple of weeks on the intercoastal waterway and a week of preparation in Beaufort, we were ready to head offshore. An 11-day passage with a third crew member delivered us a bit damp but in good spirits to the Virgin Islands on December 15th. After Christmas in the Virgins, we wended our way south through the Windward Islands to the Leeward Islands, and we were headed to Trinidad for Carnival. Once we were anchored in Admiralty Bay, Beckwe, we were 90% of the way there. We were anxious to make the final push, a mere 80 miles, to finally get there. Our plan was to sail direct from Beckwe on an overnight passage to Trinidad. This would get us there in time to rendezvous with my parents, who were flying in the next day. When we left Admiralty Bay on the morning of February 4th, Miranda was feeling well enough to steer us out of the harbor and clear of the island while I stowed the anchor and raised the sails. Yet about an hour later, as I steered and she lay down below trying to get some rest, her condition worsened. 
She came up on deck complaining of slight numbness in her hands. This worried me, but I took it as being a symptom of the dehydration she must have been suffering after a night of being sick. I hoped that with some rehydration she would recover and figured drinking some Gatorade would do the trick and help replenish her electrolytes. She took a few sips, but in less than a minute was over the side retching it up. At this point, Miranda's hands had cramped up to the point where she could no longer hold a glass and the numbness was spreading to her arms and legs. So I quickly made a straw out of an old pen and set it in a glass so she could cradle it and try to sip some water. It was getting harder for her to drink and she was beginning to panic. Her breathing was quick and shallow and her entire body tensed up. When she finally mentioned that her face and her tongue were tingling and turning numb, I decided the situation was beyond my control and it was time to call for help. I balanced the sail so the boat would sail itself and locked the wheel, jumped down below to get on the radio. It was almost 10 a.m. and we were closer to Kanawan, the next island south, than we were to Bekwi now. I tried the VHF radio, but wasn't able to raise anyone on channel 16, so I tried the amateur radio. When I became a ham operator less than four months before, I was aware of the safety benefits, but I never imagined I'd be using my license so soon to call for help. But I tuned my rig to the mobile maritime net and was glad to hear voices talking back and forth, and I got an immediate response to my call. It was quite a relief to know that I had someone's attention. However, the person who answered wasn't able to hear me very well, so he connected me with Ed Petzold in southern Florida. I explained the situation and answered questions about the boat, our location, and Miranda's condition. Ed relayed information to the United States Coast Guard in San Juan. They asked me if I thought an emergency evacuation was necessary, and I told them I wasn't qualified to judge the seriousness of Miranda's condition, but I knew that she needed help quickly. My first thought was to get Miranda ashore to Kenowan. However, I didn't know what kind of medical facilities they would have ashore on the small island. My guess was that they would probably have to fly or ferry Miranda back to Beckwee or St. Vincent for medical attention. But it seemed getting Miranda ashore was my first priority, so I headed towards Kenowan. As I sailed south, I tried again to raise anyone local on the VHF, but with no luck. But help was on the way. The U.S. Coast Guard had contacted the St. Vincent Coast Guard, which launched a 23-foot Boston whaler named Chatham Bay to rendezvous with Baggy Wrinkle. I spoke to the St. Vincent Coast Guard directly over the ham radio as they were now on frequency as well. They advised me to call Chatham Bay on the VHF, and while I tried for about half an hour, there was no response. I did, however, get a response from another sailboat sailing in the area, saying they had just seen Chatham Bay pass by. This was reassuring for two reasons, knowing that Chatham Bay was en route, but also that my VHF radio was actually still working. As it turned out, it was the VHF radio on Chatham Bay that stopped working, but the St. Vincent Coast Guard had been able to communicate with them via cell phone. So we had ham radios, cell phones, VHF. Anyway, the message got through. We gave the Coast Guard our position, and they relayed it on to Chatham Bay, about an hour later, they were in sight and approaching fast. I quickly dropped the sails, started the engine, and pointed Baggy Wrinkle into the wind. 
As Chatham Bay came alongside, I helped Miranda into the cockpit and then onto the deck. At this point, it was difficult for her even to stand on her own, and she couldn't hold herself up because her hands were cramped. Hoisting her from under her arms, I handed her across to the three men aboard the Coast Guard vessel and ran below to grab her passport and a few articles of clothing, stuck them in a bag, and threw it across to the men as well. As they sped off towards St. Vincent General Hospital, I yelled to Miranda that I loved her and I'd see her there. It was a lonely motor sail back to Beckwee, and the hour and a half it took seemed to last forever. I motored into the harbor, quickly grabbed a mooring and a lift ashore from a local. I immediately called the hospital and took it as a good sign when the nurse told me to hold while she put Miranda on the line. I spoke briefly to Miranda and was reassured that she was getting the help she needed. She had been taken directly to the emergency center and given an intravenous drip that began replenishing her electrolytes and returned feeling and movement to her limbs within minutes. I told her I would take the ferry over from Beckwe and be at the hospital by 7 p.m. When I arrived at the hospital, she was still weak and tired, but she was able to walk on her own and was in good spirits. The first blood test had come back, and other than the low electrolytes, it looked normal. The doctor kept her in the hospital overnight to do another test in the morning, and I had no place to sleep as the boat was still back in Beckwe, but the doctor kindly showed me to a cot in the emergency ward, and while it wasn't a peaceful sleep, I managed to get a few hours. Miranda slept well in her hospital bed that night, and despite sore legs from anti-vomiting injections that she'd gotten, she was feeling much better the next morning. She was released from the hospital that afternoon and was able to walk the mile or so to the ferry dock. We caught the ferry back to Beckley, and we took the dolphins jumping in the wake as a good sign, and by evening Miranda was resting quietly in her bunk aboard Baggy Wrinkle. It had truly been a traumatic and frightening 24 hours, but it had taught us valuable lessons, not only about dehydration, but also about the dangers of trying to meet a timetable while sailing. We took a couple of days rest, put these events behind us, and began planning our passage to Trinidad again, this time without a specific arrival deadline. That's the piece. I thought I'd also read the sidebar that was written by a physician's assistant and former yacht captain named William Mahaffey. It's titled Diagnosing Seasickness. And as I said before, we suspect that this was really a combination of food poisoning exacerbated by a a bit of motion sickness. Uh, But that said, I thought his comments were an interesting commentary on the article and, and helpful. So I'll just quickly read that as well. This incident highlights a scenario that's not uncommon in the cruising world. The situation of nausea and vomiting leading to significant dehydration is one that has occasionally progressed to a fatal outcome. The most common instigator of nausea and vomiting in the cruising setting is motion sickness. However, this couple had been underway for months, and it appears Miranda's condition occurred before the next leg of the journey even began. The numbness, tingling, especially around the mouth and lips, and hand cramps are classic symptoms not of dehydration, but of hyperventilation syndrome. Coupled with Mr. Shaw's comments about the patient's breathing pattern, quick and shallow, 
The clinical picture points towards hyperventilation as the culprit. This is not to say that dehydration did not play an important role. The physiology of dehydration and the alteration of electrolyte balance could make a patient more prone to hyperventilation. It's also important to note that nausea and vomiting and numbness and tingling of the arms, legs, lips, and mouth are common symptoms of ciguatera poisoning, a relatively common marine poisoning in the tropics where local fish are sold in the markets and served in restaurants. Had there been any mention of eating fish in the hours prior to departure, ciguatera would certainly be a reasonable diagnosis. But uh, Miranda nor I had had any fish in the recent past. Mr. Shaw's actions were right on target. He attempted to rehydrate the patient with an electrolyte solution. Gatorade is a perfect choice. As things worsened, he appropriately called for help but did not panic and request an air-sea rescue. Given the sailing couple's lack of resources and access to immediate medical assistance, they took the right steps. It's always better to be safe than sorry, and a sailor's pride should not prevent him or her from calling for help if things start to get a little hairy. Certainly, having more than one way to call for assistance can prevent a tragedy. It was fortunate that Mr. Shaw not only had a ham radio backup, but had the knowledge of how to use it. Cell phones and EPIRBs are also recommended equipment for offshore cruising. We had an EPIRB. We did not have a cell phone. I don't think I had my first cell phone until I got back from cruising in 2002. Finally, this scenario points out the need for voyaging sailors to receive some advanced medical training geared towards the maritime environment and to carry some medical provisions that, with assistance from expert radio medical advice, could be used to manage the situation in the event that help was not available. I'll add to that that, uh, obviously, since 2002, satellite phones have become much more common And that is another way to get in touch and get medical advice. I hope that was a little interesting and somewhat helpful. I just thought it was an interesting look back at an experience I had. It certainly taught me a lot. And it was just recently brought to mind. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the podcast. Until next time. Smooth sailing.